Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Hi, friends. I'm really glad that you're here with us today, and uh, we're going to be looking at, in this third Sunday of uh, Easter, we're going to be looking at the reality of the wilderness, that sense of loss and lack, like we've been looking at throughout Lent. I want to look at the wilderness from the perspective of a post-resurrection world, because many of us are still experiencing a lot of difficulty in our lives. There's certain uncertainty and injustice. There is poverty and a global pandemic. So how do we continue forth as people of God who are post-resurrection people who, who believe that Christ has risen from the dead? What does that mean? How does that influence how we navigate in this world today? After resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. Most of you know the story of this, and it's all in the book of Acts, if you want to read through that book, um, especially the first chapter or two. But um, he appeared to his disciples. He appeared to a bunch of other people. He's encouraging them in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God means like God's purposes for the world and God's invitation for us to partner in those purposes that God has for us and for this world. Um, we see Jesus eats with his disciples. He commissions them with the help of the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of Jesus, the good news of God's love to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he says. And they're in Jerusalem when it happens. So right there, they're already working through Jerusalem. And Judea is like the area that is it where Israel is today. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the out the outer realms, like, ooh, that's a little, that's a, crossing some boundaries there. And to the ends of the earth, being so inclusive of this gospel to all people. And we can keep reading in Acts, and what we see is that uh, that there's this, this growing community happening around them, hundreds, thousands of new believers that are added. And, and, and through this growth spurt that was happening in this community, it brought up certain needs in the community that needed to be met. So um, this new community desired to meet those needs and they, um, through prayer and, and talking with different people, they organically came up with this like welfare system that uh, with this leadership structure to help meet those needs. And one of the leaders of this welfare system, which was um, which was really given to help care for widows at that time and orphans, one of the leaders was named Stephen. Stephen was considered a man who was faithful to God and like just couldn't help share about who Jesus was and is. Um, he just soaked in the Holy Spirit, so bold in the things that he said. And and because he was saying things that really wasn't fitting in with the the dominant narrative of religious structures of the day, he is seized, he's taken to court, he's uh, brought before these religious leaders and they're like, um, you need to stop doing this right now. And he said, you know what, you guys keep murdering the prophets of before and that's just how it's always been. And they're like, well, and they kill him. They, they take him out and they throw heavy rocks at his head until he dies. It's incredibly 
an incredibly difficult story to read. But after that moment, the Bible talks about this, this, this persecution, an intense persecution that spreads throughout and it scatters these new Jesus followers throughout the land. And so there's a few that stay in Jerusalem, but a lot of them end up leaving that area. And, and, and so what, what I see in that, friends, is that in a post-resurrection world, life was still really hard. These are real people in real time experiencing very real difficult things in their lives. And it, it, it sounds impossible even, right? But what we see is that life isn't necessarily made easier with Jesus. Like the external parts of our lives aren't simplified through Christ, but there is something that is simplified within our souls. There's like a an abundance to our life. There's a betterment to our life. There's a it's like everything makes sense within us. Even if the world is crashing around around us, there's this joy, this peace, this unexplainable hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and these first Christians experienced that. They lived it out in every aspect of their life. And so what we see is that when they scattered because of the persecution, they brought God's spirit with them. And, and this transforming message, gospel message of Jesus Christ, wherever they went, they started these worshiping communities. There was a sense that Christ's peace still abounded in the midst of it all. So that's where we get to today with a man named Philip. Now, Philip was actually a really good friend of Stephen's. They helped, um, they helped lead this ministry, this welfare system together. So I'm sure Stephen and Philip were very close. I'm sure Philip was incredibly heartbroken. And what we see within the story of Philip um, is that Philip was a man who was married. He had four daughters. Um, and before we get to today's gospel passage out of Acts, or Acts passage, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So you're welcome to turn in your Bibles as well. Um, what we see is that Philip went to Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So he went to Samaria. He spent some time in Samaria and he was like bringing about the gospel there. He shared the gospel. He baptized people. He casted out demons. It was like this beautiful space where he was able to care for the people there and bring God's word there. These people in Samaria were considered other. Okay. And I hate that word. And I know that a lot of you hate it as well, but um, what I mean is that they weren't included in the Jewish religious practices in the same way. They were excluded for, for one reason or another. And, and yet Philip helped bring the gospel to Samaria. For Philip, the Samaritans were considered other. The other looks different for everyone, right? Oftentimes the other is the person, is a person or a people group that is very opposite of you. Um, I'm a Christian, female, cisgendered, white, married, middle-class, educated woman. All these things bring about a certain type of privilege in our culture and in our world. And these realities about me also gives me a certain limited perspective in how I engage in a world that looks different from me. So the others for me is probably just some people that I don't usually interact with too often. 
For instance, there's a reality right now, friends, that we live in where some people have more power than others. And I know that you know this, but there it feels heavier right now in this current moment where people of color are feeling fear from police and aggressive white folks because they've been targeted, targeted or marginalized in an unjust system that is bent on keeping people in power in power and keeping people who are impoverished impoverished. My friends of color feel unsafe and they feel re-traumatized again and again because of this feeling of other or outside power and outside privilege. And what we find in Acts, because I, I want this reality that we live in right now, and I want the Bible to help us have a new perspective, a, a reorientation to who Jesus is and who God is calling us to be as God's people. So if we look at Acts chapters 8 to 11, we're not going to look at all that today, so don't worry. But I do encourage you to read those chapters this week if you'd like to. Uh, what we see is that there's a Jesus response to otherness. That even in a wilderness, your own personal wilderness of loss and lack, the response of the resurrection community towards those on the outside or those who would be considered other needs to be dramatically transformed through Christ. And these first Christians were given a reorientation of inclusion and equity and belonging for all, but specifically and especially the other. These passages, they like dismantle any notion of who the other is. Within these passages, within this like post-resurrection way of living, we see the Samaritans included into God's family. We're going to look at the Ethiopian eunuch included into God's family. Later on, if you keep reading, you'll hear of the murderer Paul being welcomed. And then Cornelius, a Roman, also being welcomed. And it's almost like Luke, who is the author of Acts, is being like, wanting to answer that question, well, what about so-and-so? Are they equally included? Even that guy? Or those people? Luke is creating a reorientation of what it looks like to be a Jesus-minded person in a post-resurrection world. So what we see in these accounts is that God's love in a post-resurrection world is being brought to Jerusalem and Judea and now to Samaria. But what about the ends of the earth? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to look at today, my friends. So I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Um, you're welcome to read in your Bible or you can listen to me as I read it. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, the wilderness road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stop it, stand in the way of me being my, of, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azdicus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May the Lord add a blessing to this reading. Thanks be to God. So that question I asked, the ends of the earth. In a Hellenistic culture, Ethiopia was literally considered, historically considered and called the ends of the earth. And what's interesting is that Philip would have known that because Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. So he would have understood something like that. Um, Ethiopia in Greek means black. A eunuch was a castrated person by their choice or sometimes by the choice of somebody else. Uh, sometimes they were born without reproductive organs and so they were considered a eunuch. And the job of a eunuch, their primary job was to serve in a woman's court or women's court. Um, they would give their entire lives over to the one that they served. And for Philip, um, who's a Jew, he would have known the law of Moses really well, right? He would have he would have known that Deuteronomy 23, 1 states that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Friends, it's in the Bible. No one, it says, right? This man wasn't considered complete. Therefore, he couldn't engage in these holy temple practices, regardless of conversion. But Philip would have also known a contradictory biblical passage out of Isaiah 56, where eunuchs would be fully welcomed into the messianic community without any change to themselves. So there's this Deuteronomy passage that says exclude, and then there's this prophecy in Isaiah that says include. So just as the Samaritans were cut off from God because of religion, and we can read about God's faithfulness in bridging that gap through Christ, we see the same with eunuchs. Eunuchs are gender non-binary people. They are the other. And what we see is them finding the kingdom of God thrown open for them. The gospel is inclusive to all those places, my friends. 
And what's so interesting is that you'll never know the perspective of the other unless you get involved with the other, unless you form friendships with people who are different from you. And oftentimes that takes a movement, a boldness, a courage that comes from the Holy Spirit. Throughout Acts, what we see in this passage specifically in other places is that throughout a wilderness existence, even in the midst of loss and lack in a post-resurrection world, is that when people take the good news of God's love to new, unknown, or even scandalous places that go beyond their own personal boundaries or understandings, the Holy Spirit has to guide them and move them. It is oftentimes not something that people just step into with their own will. It is something that is nudging. It is growing within us. We are moved into places that are uncomfortable because it's places we've never quite walked in before. And what we see is that when God's Spirit fills your heart and fills the church, then that that rules, when Jesus' spirit rules the church, walls fall down, prejudices get removed, racism and sexism is rooted out, ethnicity is celebrated and valued, every voice is included, barriers are eliminated, and God's love through Jesus Christ begins to move more freely throughout. And what we see is that Philip was learning about his own religious supremacy, his own biases, his own boundaries that would get in the way of the gospel. So Philip had to rely on God's spirit for every move, from going to Gaza, from getting into that wilderness desert, from a conversation with this eunuch and with baptism. He had to be absolutely fully reliant on the spirit of God to guide and direct everything on his own. Because on his own, he probably wouldn't have engaged. Which also makes me wonder if the Ethiopian didn't also feel that Holy Spirit nudge towards Philip. I think sometimes we can look at God and we're like, oh, well, God's for me. God is working in my life. And what do I need to do with that? But God's also working in other people's lives as well. And I think that God was working in that Ethiopian's life, that that nudge towards Philip. Philip is like this Jewish man who probably looked super disheveled and messy, like in a wilderness. He didn't have a bunch of resources. He's running up beside the chariot. So this very wealthy and successful educated Ethiopian had to humbly accept Philip's presence near him too. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Sometimes it just takes a question. I wonder if Philip had read this passage of scripture like tons of times in his life and saw it in one very specific way, in one light. But because he was reading it next to the Ethiopian eunuch, I wonder if he began to see that scripture totally differently. Like, you know, you know, when you're like watching a movie and it's like a comedy and it's really funny and you're laughing the whole time and you're like, oh, this is such a great movie and you haven't seen it in a while. And then you decide maybe my dad would like it and you watch it next to your dad and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so crude. This is so crass. And you're like, you know, getting a little sweaty because because of your present company, like your perspective of the movie changed because your present company changed. I think the same thing was happening 
in that moment for Philip as he read from Isaiah, foretelling Jesus. I think he stood next to his new friend and was able to see Isaiah in a different way because of his present company. I wonder how much Philip began to see this eunuch compared with Jesus because never before had Philip read this passage alongside a eunuch. Like sheep to slaughter, silent without a voice, humiliated with no hope of justice or offspring. This passage is oftentimes called the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, but I think that it is also the conversion of Philip and hopefully our own conversions as well. Because of God's spirit who lives within believers, who lives within me and you, and who lived within Philip, Philip spread God's love and grace to the Samaritans, those who were left out, excluded from the worshiping community. And then Philip spread God's love to and grace to this Gentile eunuch, a person who was left out of the worshiping community. And then God spread, or Peter spread, Philip spread God's love to his four daughters, uh, who became these God-fearing prophets and preachers, women who were left out of the worshiping community were now considered equally important as men. We see that God is for the Samaritan, that God is for the non-gender, non-binary, that God is for women. I think it's because Philip submitted to the purposes of God's spirit in his life. I think he was converted in that moment by seeing that God is for whole people and especially on the side of the oppressed. When Christ died on the cross and, 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 and eventually rose from the dead, all that was considered incomplete was made complete. All that was missing became filled through Jesus. Every wilderness existence that you're walking through right now that feels impossible, Jesus is with you in that. And because of resurrection, you are whole, you are loved, you are cared for in the midst of whatever difficulty you are going through right now. What I love about the story is how this man didn't need to take a test or go to some baptism class first and make sure his theology was correct. Philip didn't help him change or, or fit into some sort of Christian doctrine first. Philip and this man were both being converted by Christ through the vast love and grace of God that didn't fit into any Christian container. And I love how he saw water and Philip stands and, and he asks Philip, what stands in, in the way of my being baptized? You know who could have stood in the way? Philip could have. In fact, Philip had every right to do so. Uh, he had just beforehand in this in the same chapter, in chapter 8, he baptized Simon the sorcerer, who turned out to that he wasn't even like that into Jesus. He didn't even truly believe in Jesus. So, so Peter could definitely have been more cautious with taking this step. It almost seems like we humans need to make sure a person is right enough before they come to God because we believe God can't make that decision without our help. But God is 
totally holy and fully capable and absolutely just in determining a person's true conversion or not. It is not for us to judge if a person is ready enough for baptism. The man just knew that God's love for him, exactly how he was, was enough to take that step and go under the water. And he was ready to soak in knowing God's love. He was ready to be marked in Christ's death and resurrection, to be born again in new life. He was ready to step into fully putting sin to death, not because of something that he had done, but because of what God had already done through Jesus Christ. We don't know if this gender non-binary, socially, economically, and racially different man was baptized, went away, and sinned no more. All we know in this story is that he went away rejoicing. He was rejoicing about this new life he was invited into. There were two conversions that happened that day, and both men realized that God's spirit was guiding them that the world was bigger than they could have ever imagined, and that nothing separates or distinguishes people from God's love. And I think this is a story of unending conversion because God's spirit is forever converting us from seeing a person as other into a beloved sibling. We are converted from our prejudices, our biases, our racism and elitism and classism and sexism and our religious rightness and our blame casting. Conversion is the way of God. Forever opening our eyes to oppressive systems and our desire for power and control. God invited us to open our eyes and see that there was water in the desert and in those wilderness places all along. God tells us there is nothing standing in the way of our baptism, our conversion, our reorientation towards life, even in a dry and weary place. So as you go from this place today, may you experience that eternal pulsating vibration of God's powerful love that reaches past death and beyond graves and speaks a deeper truth of life. May you know that Christ is with you in all things and may you be blessed today by the peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.